One of the great things about being a family is, um, is growing up and growing old together. And, uh, and I'm so excited about this morning because I remember when Paul Meacham, Paul, when did you first start to connect with us? I don't know, when you were like six years old, something like that, and a bit older. Definitely more than 10 or so years ago. And uh, Paul was interested in getting involved in, in youth work, and so he started to help out in our Urban Saints group, and, uh, and then started connecting into church, and faith really came alive, and uh, he's been doing the leadership course for the last year, which we finished on Thursday, and uh, he got baptized last year, year before, it's all a blur, it was all good. And, uh, and it's so wonderful and thrilling to see what happens when someone, and this could be true for any of us, just says yes to God repeatedly. Just to the next stretch, just to the next thing, you know. And, uh, and I, I can think of conversations that Paul and I had like yonks ago uh, where, like we were talking about this on, uh, just uh, the other day, like he would never have imagined he would be doing what he's about to do. And, uh, and that's because the God that we serve changes our lives. And he's all about taking things that feel impossible and he makes them possible. And so what you're about to experience is not just a great preach, and it's going to be a great preach. Paul's first ever preach in this church. Okay. And no, wait, wait, wait. Pause. We'll cheer him on in just a moment. What you gonna, but, but what you're going to see, and I hope what you catch, and I hope it inspires you, is what God does when he grabs a hold of people's lives. This, this is a testimony of Paul Meacham saying yes to Jesus and Jesus saying a wholehearted yes back. All right, so I want you to give a massive Zio cheer to our big family brother, Paul Meacham. Okay, morning church. Um, I have to say it's slightly weird being up here rather than sat at the back. Uh, the only time I normally get to see your faces is when something's going wrong with the sound and you're all turning around going, what is, what is he doing? What is he doing? <laughs> um, my sermon this morning is called God versus Science, which on the face of it might sound a bit like a provocative title. Um, but actually, I think this is how a lot of people, uh, whether they're Christians or not, view science as this sort of opposing force to God, that there's a choice to be made as to whether we're going to be a person of science or a follower of God. But actually, the Bible has something rather different to say about this. If we look at Psalm 111 uh, in verse 2, which will be up on the screen so you can see it, it says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. And what is the study of the natural world, of God's works, if it's not science? So perhaps what the psalmist is saying here is that science can be encouraged And it's actually not opposing uh, God, that they're not the opposite ends of the spectrum that we might uh, believe they are, they might appear to be. So this morning we're going to look at three different ways at which science and and God interact and thus actually coexist together. Um, As some of you will know, uh, I've spent the last sort of 11 years of of my life working on the ExoMars rover, uh, Airbus in Stevenage. ExoMars is a European Space Agency mission to land a six-wheel vehicle like this on the surface of Mars in 2020. Now, I can wonder that the key science goals of this particular mission is to search for uh, past or present life beneath the surface of Mars. And I remember having a discussion with Matt in the queue for a roller coaster of all places about 
What would it mean for Christianity if our mission was successful, if it did find life on the surface of Mars? Does that mean that the Bible is wrong, that, that God doesn't exist? In fact, what I would suggest, actually, is that it's through scientific discoveries like this that we might glimpse God. If I was to ask you to describe God's creation, um, I imagine you'd probably come up, not surprisingly, with the natural wonders of the world. Things like the Grand Canyon, uh, Mount Everest, Aurora Borealis. Things that are on a scale that humans cannot create. This is one of my favourite images uh, from the space programme. Uh, it's taken by an American astronaut called Michael Collins. And Collins was the command module pilot for Apollo 11. Uh, and he had the, the very important but actually quite unfortunate job of staying in orbit around the moon whilst Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin went down to the surface in the lunar lander. And this photo was taken as the lunar lander is ascending back, on the back from the surface, about to dock with the command module again. And you can see the, the, the lunar module in the foreground there with Earth in the background. And as a result, the only human, alive or dead, who is not in the frame of this photo is Michael Collins. But in cosmic terms, this is the equivalent of popping down the shops. Um, <laughs> it's everything we know in one frame, in one, in one photo, but it's only a tiny part of God's creation. To help us visualise exactly how big creation is uh, and the scales that are involved, uh, science has come up with something called the powers of ten. And this involves looking at our universe in multiples of ten. So you'd start off at a centimetre, then a metre, ten metres, a hundred metres, a kilometre, and so on. And like everything worth knowing, it has, of course, been immortalised by The Simpsons. So what the power of 10 can do is, and what science can, can help us do is to be able to see what we can't, these really large and small scales of God's creation. So telescopes around the Earth and even in space can allow us to see such amazing structures as this. This is the so-called pillars of creation. It's about 7,000 light years away from the Earth in the Eagle Nebula. And these are essentially enormous columns of dust and gas, and it's where new stars are created. Now, we often think of creation as being something that kind of happened in the past, right at the beginning of the Bible. And yet here, we have God the, the, God the Creator at work today. Okay, now, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty, pretty cool, I think. I would really encourage you to reflect on these images for a moment and just take in how beautiful God's creation really is.
Certainly, I've always found tremendous encouragement uh, through looking at images like this, as well as the science behind them. And actually, Paul mentions this in his letter to the Romans. Uh, if we look at Romans 1, verse 20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. What Paul is saying here is that we should be looking at stuff like that and going, yes, that is God. There he is. There he's been at work. What's also interesting is if you look on the smaller scales of our uh, universe, you can see patterns emerging. So if we take an example here of a snowflake, um, what you might not have realized is the same hexagonal structure is repeated three times at different sizes throughout the snowflake. I'm sure most of us would agree that, that uh, the weather is a very chaotic system. It's very difficult to predict more than a couple of days in advance. And yet, in the midst of that chaos, we have underlying order, what we call a fractal. And it's not the only place we see this. Uh, for example, in the river delta, we, we, we see that same repeating pattern. And in the structure of a leaf, uh, where a small part of the leaf looks like the whole leaf. It's repeating down at different scales. Now, I'm not saying that just because something has a pattern in it or has underlying order, that that means God was at work. But perhaps it's a clue. It's a clue that something beyond coincidence is happening here, something beyond random chance. So let's take a look at the Big Bang. Um, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Big Bang. It's this explosion of, of unbelievable, unimaginable power that created our universe. Um, now, whether you're a Christian or not, most people would agree that that happened, and actually science can prove that uh, everything in our universe expanded from a single point. But what's interesting is if you start to meddle with what's going on with this explosion, if you start to change the power of the explosion. So if you were to give the Big Bang a little bit more power, the universe would have expanded so rapidly that, in fact, matter wouldn't have been able to clump together, stars couldn't have formed, and thus it's very unlikely that life could have emerged. In the other direction, if you give it slightly less power, um, you find that the universe starts to expand, and then it collapses back in on itself. Again, unlikely that a life would have emerged under those conditions. And it turns out the amount you have to meddle with the power of the explosion is one part in 10 to the 60. So that's a one with 60 zeros behind it. So an unbelievably tiny fraction. Now, to put that into context, uh, I want you to imagine that you're playing poker. And the person that you're playing uh, has got a royal flush, which, for those of you who are not familiar with, with poker, it's the best hand you can get. It's all the best cards in the best suit. <clears throat> and then I want you to imagine that the person you're playing against hasn't just got it once. They haven't just got one royal flush. They've got it nine times in a row. Now, in theory, that is possible. And according to the laws of random chance, all the cards are in the deck when you deal the hand, so you could get a royal flush nine times in a row. But it turns out the probability of getting a royal flush nine times in a row is about one part in 10 to the 60. And I can imagine if you were playing someone and they had got the royal flush nine times in a row, I doubt you'd be suggesting that they're just lucky. They're just, oh, it's, it's all right, it's just random chance. I think you'd be much more likely to say they're cheating. And they're quite blatantly cheating at that. That's because cheating is the more likely thing that is, is happening here, not random chance. So perhaps we should look at the Big Bang, the fact that it was precisely the right power to create the universe 
that life could emerge as something else going on than just random chance. And maybe that something is God. The second point I want to make this morning is that um, science is in desperate need of God's guidance. Now, to understand this, we're going to have to do some physics, so, so brace yourselves for this. Um, so the, the equation on the screen, yes, we're going to have to go through it, I'm sorry. Uh, the equation on the screen is showing a uranium atom, which is the, the uh, capital letter U on the left-hand side there. A uranium atom encountering a neutron, which is the little n next to it, and it's absorbing that neutron. What this happens when it absorbs a neutron is it makes another form of uranium that's actually highly unstable. It can't exist as, as, as uranium for very long, and it actually splits into two sort of other atoms, which are barium and krypton. Not the same krypton that makes Superman weak, something much more benign. Um, but when it splits, it releases energy. And it turns out it releases an awful lot of energy. To give you an idea, if you had a lump of uranium in your hand, probably not a great idea, but go with me, and you had a lump of coal, the uranium undergoing this process would produce two and a half million times as much energy as burning the lump of coal. Um, and at the same time, you can see there, it produces three more neutrons, so the three and the little n on the right-hand side. So those three neutrons are able to go and find three more uranium atoms and repeat the process and again and again and again. So you end up with a runaway nuclear reaction. Now, science has come up with at least two applications of this particular uh, equation. The first is in a nuclear bomb. So much like the one that was dropped on Hiroshima in World War II, that used that, that essentially that underlying equation to cause untold devastation. But it can also be used in a nuclear fission reactor, where we effectively control that nuclear reaction to produce a source of clean energy. Now, as far as science is concerned, those two applications are equally valid. Science doesn't have a sense of good and bad. It's without moral compass. So it's down to the people who make these discoveries and apply these equations to decide how best to use it. But how do we know what is good and what is bad, what is good and what is evil, without some kind of reference? And of course, the Bible is, is full of references. Probably the most well-known is Matthew 22, um, where Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, note the question here. He's not being asked... What is the most important commandment when I'm at school or work or church? He's being asked, what is the most important commandment, full stop? So we can be sure that whatever he replies here applies to science just as much as anything else. And I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, uh, with uh, Jesus' response to this, which is that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. This is the moral compass that science is looking for. It's love. And I would suggest, and I, I guess you probably would agree with me, that using that equation to produce a weapon of mass destruction capable of killing innocent people, that's not really an act of love. But reducing our reliance on fossil fuels that would otherwise poison our atmosphere and warm our planet... Now, that just might be an act of love. Of course, it's not always to say it's going to be as simple as that. Uh, and Ephesians 6 gives us a bit of an insight into this, where it says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What this verse is telling us is that we're going to be tested. We're going to be tested in science just as much as anywhere else. There are going to be forces pulling us towards good, and there are going to be forces pulling us towards evil. And it's up to us, essentially, which force we succumb to. And it won't be always easy to tell which is which. And this is just as true with science as with any other human endeavour. So just as we seek out God in our daily lives, surely we should be seeking him out in relation to science too, such that the scientific discoveries we make are used for good and for the glory of God's kingdom rather than for evil. And that's perhaps why I would suggest that Christians should be present in the field of science. We often talk about bringing Christian influence to our world, bringing the kingdom down. And what a wonderful opportunity in the case of science to bring scripture like we read to bear, to really put it into practice. And that, I would suggest, is as much an application of God's word as helping someone across the street. The final point I want to make is that science and God are not necessarily in competition. Um, Science is is wonderful at showing us such amazing things as how memories are created in our uh, minds, how how the neurons fire and, and how we actually store that information. It also can show us how a virus that is entering the body, uh, the immune system can respond to that and and, and eradicate it from from our bodies. And even the development of new life in the womb. Essentially, science can uh, help us understand the mechanics of how we exist. And God's in all that. After all, it's his creation. But science finds it very hard to tell us why we exist. And it's existential questions like that, why am I here, what is my purpose, that science can't really answer, and we need to get from somewhere else. Now, I would suggest that the the primary concern of the Bible is not a description of our physical world, on the other hand. Um, Although there are elements of that within it. Instead, I would suggest it's more about our salvation. The teachings of Jesus, whilst far, far too numerous to go into here, concern things like love and forgiveness, faith, helping the poor and needy. He didn't generally give very many physics lectures. So perhaps what we're seeing here is two sides of the same coin. I personally don't believe that that, that God opposes science. After all, he created it. But if we're going to explore God's creation through the window of science and only the window of science, I think we're going to come up sorely lacking. Instead, we also need to explore it through the window of the Bible to really understand what it's all about. So as we've seen this morning, science can provide the means that we might glimpse God and the majesty of his creation. And I would really encourage you to go out and do that. Have a look on on Google at some of these amazing structures in our universe. We've seen that science discoveries actually need some guidance from God and his wisdom in there to understand how to use them most effectively. And finally, and most importantly, that God and science are not these opposing forces that science is one way of viewing the world, but we're going to need more than that if our lives are going to be complete. And that's what God provides through his word. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the glory and the expanse of your creation on scales both large and small. 
Thank you that science provides the means that we might know this creation and you better. I pray that you would help us to use science for your glory and guide those who work in this field to use the discoveries they make to love others. I ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through science, but also give us the wisdom to know that we need more than that to understand why we were created and the plans you have for us. Amen.